Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Boy, do we have a big show for you today. Um, now, I was on vacation for a weekend, so I pre-recorded the, the the interview this week with uh, Chris Romeo. We're going to talk about hackers and the hacker mentality, and it's really quite fascinating. I think you're going to find it interesting. You're going to learn a lot of things that you probably didn't realize about how hackers actually think and work, uh, and it's just a fascinating discussion. But of course, the big news this week is the Equifax breach, and that is huge, huge news. And so we're going to be spending uh, the majority of the, uh, the rest of the show talking about that. And uh, be sure to stay tuned at the very end of the show for the tip of the week. I'll talk to you about what you can do to protect yourself uh, if you were one of the people affected and you probably were. Odds are, if you're in the United States, uh, you were affected by this breach. So stay tuned for that. But let's start with the news of the week. Um, before I get to the Equifax thing, I do need to quickly mention that there are some very important Android updates that came out recently. So if you've got an Android phone, be sure to get your phone patched, uh, uh, updated as soon as possible, update your Android operating system. Hopefully you've got a newer model. If you don't have a newer model, you might be a little out of luck there, um, but get those updates if you've got them because there were some big holes uh, that were just filled. So now let's get into the Equifax breach. First of all, and just in case for some reason you have not seen this on the news or have not come across this somewhere else, Equifax, who one of the big three United States credit bureaus, was hacked. And according to them, according to their CEO, enough of their data was breached that it might affect up to 143 million Americans. Now, there's 324 million Americans in the U.S. right now. So that's 44% of the U.S. population. Now, if you rule out children and people for that, for whatever reason, don't have a credit history, that number is actually much higher as far as a percentage goes. So chances are, unfortunately, if you are an adult with a credit record, you were probably affected. Um, now, Equifax has been trying to get some information out about this. Unfortunately, they're doing a pretty poor job on it. Um, but you've probably at least seen this on the news if you haven't heard from them directly that somehow, and this is still unclear how this happened. And honestly, for most of you, it's really moot, but, uh, Equifax was hacked and very sensitive data, including things like names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and even in some cases, driver's license numbers, even, uh, I think even credit card numbers for about 200,000 customers, um, were, were possibly stolen. Uh, sounds to me like they're not exactly sure what happened yet. So that number could increase actually by the time they figure out exactly what happened. So stay tuned for that. But basically if you're a U.S. citizen, uh, actually, I think this even affected some folks in the UK and Canada as well. You could be in serious threat of identity, identity theft. Oh boy. So how did this happen? Again, they really don't know, or if they do know, they're not saying it's looking kind of shady. It looks like they first found out about this July 29th. Um, and then unfortunately some executives sold some stock before they made this public again, not good. Um, there may be some legal action there, but again, from your perspective, <laughs> that doesn't really matter. What really matters from your perspective is what do you do about this? So let's talk about that. Um, so Equifax has provided a website, um, and I'm not going to try to read it all here, but you can go to the show notes on, on the podcast page and the, on the show page on America Out Loud, and you can get uh, the link there. Um, or you can just search for Equifax, um, uh, Equifax Breach Impact probably will get you there. Um, if you go to this website now, it's been acting kind of flaky, but the, 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 the idea is you put in the last six digits of your social security number and your last name. 
and it will tell you whether or not you were affected. Now, I've done this myself, uh, and what it told me was I was probably affected, but I've also heard people putting in completely random names and numbers and it coming back and saying the same thing. So I'm not sure what's going on with this website. Maybe it's just being flaky, but this is that's the official website you're supposed to go to from Equifax to see if you've been affected. Uh, what it tells you if you have been affected is to come back later. Uh, and the date varies from I've seen from September 11th to September 13th to come back where you can sign up for their trust ID credit monitoring system for free. Now, that's also pretty shady because basically what they're <laughs> they screwed up and they want you to come back and use their service, the, which will monitor your, your credit report uh, for funny activity, which they should be doing anyway, to be honest. Uh, and it doesn't prevent anything. It's just it'll just tell you if they think something fishy is going on. And then, of course, when your free year is up, they're going to probably badger you to sign up uh, to pay for it going forward. In fact, I have not done this myself yet, but my, the way that these things often work is you actually have to go ahead and give them your credit card now, even though it's free, and they will automatically renew you at whatever their cost is next year. So, you know, that's not a great idea, but I, I, nevertheless, uh, I would still do it anyway. As soon as it's available, as soon as they make it available, I would sign up and um, do it for free for a year and just put a note on your calendar to quit it after a year. Um, when the time comes back up, cause who knows what they're going to charge for it. However, given how nasty this looks, I think it's quite possible that there will be legal action going on here. And that is something else I should mention because, uh, there were, were some other stories about when you sign up for their free service, somewhere buried in the terms of service for this was something saying that you would not, uh, you opted out of your right to participate in any class action lawsuits against them around this issue. So, you know, that's muddy. Um, They came out with a statement saying that that's not really the case. But, you know, with these terms of service things, they're ridiculous. So this is a real, real mess. Um, My guess, and I'm not a lawyer, um, so take that for what it's worth. My guess is if you signed up for this thing, because it's been so nasty that my guess is that they would override anything uh, that would not let you participate in a class action lawsuit. Unfortunately for your protection, it's probably still it's still, probably still best to sign up for this free service um, and get that monitoring done. But there are other things you can do that might be better. So what else you could do? Uh, you could put a credit freeze on all three major credit bureaus. Now, if you're not aware, there are three major credit bureaus in the United States. Equifax, of course, is one. The other two being Experian and TransUnion. Um, and, uh, with a credit freeze, what you're basically doing is you're preventing any new credit from being taken out on your, uh, on your name. Actually, what you're really doing is you're preventing access to your, to your credit history file. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. That'll be my tip of the week at the end of the show. So, um, after the, after the interview with Chris, uh, I'll do dive into the tip of the week and we'll cover that in more detail. But basically what that does is that prevents anybody from opening new credit in your name. So if you were affected by this, um, that's probably the strongest action you could take at this point to prevent something bad from happening. What else can you do? Um, you should, as always follow the security procedures that, that I've been telling you for, for months now. Uh, and that is improve all of your passwords, make sure, especially for your financial stuff, that would be banks, investments, um, anything that has to do with money and any, any website that's got your credit card. Um, all your social media accounts and your email accounts as well. Now, why why do I worry about social media and email accounts? Well, first of all, social media accounts um, can be used to impersonate you. And that's often the easiest way to infect somebody with malware is to trick somebody that 
uh, somebody that you know uh, and to download them something because they've taken over your social media account or your email account and say, hey, you know me, uh, you could trust me, check out this file, click this link. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, the bad guys have snagged everybody that, you know, because they've got actual access to your address book and everybody on your Facebook and Instagram and whatever accounts. Uh, and they've just tricked them into clicking on something because they thought you were, um, that the bad guys were you. Uh, the other reason you want to make sure you protect your email accounts is because that's the way most people still do password resets. So if they know your ID for your bank account, but they haven't been able to guess your password, uh, but they can guess your password for your email account, the first thing they will do is go to your bank and say, oh, hey, I forgot my password. Could you send me a password reset link? And of course, that goes to your email account. And once they've got, if they've got control of your email account, now they can take control of whatever accounts they can password reset via email. So as always, make sure you're using strong, long, unique, random passwords for all your password. Uh, for all your password sites. And of course, the only real way to do that as a human being is to use a password manager, uh, like one password or LastPass. Those are very popular. Um, Dashlane, Roboform, there are others. Um, but they will generate these crazy passwords for you and remember them and fill them in for you so you don't have to. Uh, that's really the best way to have strong passwords. And you need unique passwords for all these sites. So if they, for some reason, get into one and crack that password, they can't use that password on all the other sites as well. So there's that. Um, also, you should improve your security questions. Uh, just like guarding your email, this is kind of a backdoor uh, way that a lot of people don't realize um, is insecure. Um, if all I need to reset my password is to know your mother's maiden name, your first pet, and the mascot of your high school, um, think about having <laughs> the fact that probably I could answer all those questions just by looking through your Facebook history. Um, so what do you do about that? Well, if you can pick your own security questions, great, do that. Um, and then you can pick something that's a little more obscure. The other thing I would really recommend if you want to do this right, um, you have two options. One, just lie. There's nothing saying you have to, <laughs> there's nothing saying you have to tell the truth on these questions. As long as you remember what answers you put in there. And again, a password manager would help you with this. Um, or you can write these things down or just come up with some stock answers for these things that are wrong. That way, if someone's trying to guess these things and they know your mother's maiden name, uh, if you don't put your mother's maiden name in there, they won't be able to guess it. Um, so that's one option. The other option is you can, if you really want to kick it up a notch, instead of putting in, you know, real answers of any sort, uh, intelligible human answers, just put in gibberish. And by that, I mean, generate a random password and use that password answer uh, as your security question answers. And then again, store those things in a password manager so that you won't forget them. Uh, and no one will ever be able to get guess those. I realize that sounds like a lot of work, but as we're going to see with the fallout with this whole Equifax thing, this stuff is really important. And when, when these breaches happen, you're going to be really happy that you've got this sort of protection going on. All right. What else could you do? Um, set up two factor authentication on all these accounts. That way, if for some reason they do guess your passwords or they somehow bypass your passwords, cause that happens sometimes, uh, they would still need a second thing to get in. So set up two factor authentication. Uh, the best way to do that is with an app like Google Authenticator, where um, when you set up the two factor, you scan this little uh, this little QR code that looks like a two dimensional barcode. Um, and that gives you a little time based thing that that, that that comes from this application that's on your smartphone. Um, and that's the better way to do it. They, some of them will text you your pin, like your one-time pin, but unfortunately the whole text messaging system is based on some really old telecom standards and they're not that secure. Uh, so if someone was able to actually clone your phone or get a new phone in your name, somehow those text messages would go to them instead of you. And, uh, that defeats the whole purpose. So if you can use uh, an app that's better than using uh, text-based, 
um, uh, messaging. Well, the only other thing you can really do is um, be extra cautious out there. Uh, unfortunately, if you're affected by this, you're going to have to be cautious for a while. Um, the bad guys can sit on this information until after a year, for example, after this, after your free credit monitoring service runs out, then they might start using this information. So, you know, unfortunately, you got to keep a close eye on your credit card and your bank and your other financial statements. Make sure there's nothing weird showing up there. Get your credit reports every year. Uh, you can get a free report every year. Um, make sure you go to the U.S. government site on that because there's a lot of quote-unquote free sites that they, that if you Google will take you to that actually find some way to charge you. So go to the government site on that on getting your free credit reports. And um, I would stagger them since you get one um, from each of those uh, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion every year. I would do one every four months um, if you really want to be cautious about it and that's one per year each but you've spread them out so you're kind of getting them throughout the year and uh, two more things um, there is a really nice service called credit karma uh, that is free um, most free services i have a hard time recommending but um, this one makes their money off recommending things like credit cards and other stuff to you so you can check that out um, and i they've done a pretty good job i've used them for years um, you can uh See, that's another way you could kind of monitor your credit, your your credit history and stuff going on with your credit. So that's another free way you could be looking at your credit uh, as time goes on. And finally, write your congressman. I know I say this stuff all the time. I know I kind of end up everything with, you know, write your congressman. But this is one of those cases where we, we've got to improve this. There's so many things that um, we need to fix regarding this for one thing social security numbers are just outdated it is just not a good id system and it's way too many things are based on this and if that number gets out you're screwed and you can't really change it so you know things like that um coming up with you know stricter regulations on how these guys can handle your data and penalties for when they screw up my guess is a lot of those things are going to probably come out of this um but keep an eye on it and as these bills come around make sure you're telling your congressman that you support these kind of actions and that we need to protect consumers more and the government needs to step in because if it's just left to the private industry and it's a profit motive these guys are going to do the absolute bare minimum um and lawsuits and the threat of lawsuits may help but at, at the end of the day we need laws and regulations to make sure that these guys are doing everything they should be doing to protect your data Okay, so speaking of hacking, um, let's take this from a whole different perspective. We're going to talk to Chris Romeo here in just a second. Um, and he and I had a really fun discussion based on the DEF CON and Black Hat conferences that were a few weeks back, uh, talking about what it means to be a hacker. And it's not always the evil guy in the hoodie hunched over a laptop somewhere. It's, it's, it's curious people. It's people that want to find ways around the rules to put puzzles together in different ways. It's a whole different way of thinking and it's not always bad guys. And we actually, there's a lot of hackers out there that we owe, we owe a big debt to because there are what we call white hat hackers. And those are the guys out there doing the good work of trying to find these bugs before the bad guys do. And then alerting people, uh, alerting those companies to fix those bugs. So anyway, a very interesting discussion. So let's get into that. Now let's uh, sit down with Chris Romeo. Let's get into the mind of the hacker. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest. Make it a daily stop and also get the app. You go right to the App Store and download our free app, and that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health. 
Sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, and we are back with Chris Romeo, who's by far the most uh, often guest I've had on the, on the show. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> I'm honored to be here and uh, truly enjoy talking security with you, Carrie. And today we we mentioned this in the last time we talked. We had, we got a l- into a little bit of the hacker culture because we were talking about DefCon and Black Hat. And uh, as we were talking about that, we we talked a little bit about what it meant to be a hacker. And I thought, well, that'd be a great idea for a show. And you know, maybe the maybe the people in the audience are thinking, I'm not going to be a hacker. But there's actually a lot more to it than people think. And I, it's a different kind of mindset. And and if nothing else, maybe you know, maybe you've got kids that you might want to encourage to get into this this area. And uh, so I thought we'd let. We discuss that a little bit and kind of delve into the mind, the mind of a hacker. Yeah, that sounds like a, a deep topic that we can uh, we can certainly dive into. And I'm gonna I'm gonna start just by throwing out, and I, I mentioned this in the previous interview, but folks always think of hacker as such a negative term. Yeah, and I just want to remind everybody right from the beginning here, the term hacker is not necessarily a negative term. Okay, I tend to use the word attacker when I'm when I'm speaking of someone who is doing something hostile and trying to break something that doesn't belong to them or steal something that doesn't belong to them. A hacker is something different. A hacker is somebody who likes to pull things apart and see how they work. Yeah. And so that can be somebody from. There's there's the physical side of hacking. So if you have a particular device and. You're curious as to what are all the parts that are inside of it and how could they fit together and work. You can take that thing apart and then understand what all the pieces are and then put it back together and hopefully you get it to work again. Um, yeah, but, so old, that's kind of in the old days they might have called that like a tinkerer, right? Yeah, that's a good way to that's a good way to think of it. Um, you think about how in the United States our culture has changed over the last 50 years or so. We used to be a country of people that actually fixed things, <laughs> and now we've become a culture of people who throw things away and buy new things when something breaks. Very and true. I mean, think of the, you know, I mean, how many people used to fix TVs? Yeah. Like, my father-in-law used to fix television sets. Oh, yeah. With a big, like, I don't know, oscilloscope thing or something. I don't know what that thing was doing. It had yep. little sine waves all over. I mean, it was yep. just little blinky lights and everything, but... That's a that's a lost art now, and so there, there's a connection between that kind of a mindset. It's that same kind of mindset, the same mindset that drove somebody to say, oh, "I can fix that TV. I'll 
take it apart, figure out how it works. Yep. That's the hacker mindset. And you can apply it to the physical devices. You can apply it to software. You can apply it to firmware, the, the little pieces of software that allow individual products to work. It's, it's, you can apply this hacker mindset to almost anything. Well, that that's actually a great point, and 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 I used to tell my daughters that you know I'd, when I tried to explain to them cars, and I said you used to be able to open up the hood of a car and see the ground, you know you could you could drop <laughs> you could drop a coin through, and it would have a good chance of hitting the ground without hitting anything else because things used to be a lot simpler, and they were actually things used to be made to be serviced, made and not just by you know talented professionals that, that get certifications, but by the average guy, uh, the average person. And that's just not true anymore. Part of it's just pure complexity, but a lot of it is just these companies are producing products that are meant to be consumed and thrown away, just exactly as you said. And there is a long history of that. And for, you know, you, if people think, and you mentioned this on the last show too, that, you know, people think hacker immediately. In fact, I bet if you Google hacker for, and hacker image, the first one that'll come up is some guy in a dark hoodie hovered over, hovering over a laptop, you know, apparently doing something nefarious. And that is just, that, that is really not, the, that's really not the case. Yeah, it's too bad that that's the perception that we have. Oh, I just did it. And the top row on Google Images <laughs> is all hooded, wearing <laughs> people using the computer. With some sort of a matrixy background, Some right? type of matrixy background. Wait, hold on. No, the entire first page <laughs> of Google Images response are in that same vein. And that's it's such a broken approach to thinking about which is something that's that's relatively beautiful and isn't really right or wrong like there's no moral like hacker doesn't have a unfortunately people add this moral kind of stigma to it that yeah. hackers are bad or hackers are good and it's, there, there's both sides and i don't even it doesn't even need to be a moral type of it's it's a title for somebody who likes to take things apart and figure out how things work and that perception of the the hoodie wearing um, malcontent, somebody who's <laughs> just trying to take on break down the world, is unfortunately not really the true nature of this idea of a hacker. Yeah, and you know, if just if you look back historically, I I, I did a little research prior to our interview, and you know, there are people that really are hackers that you don't you might not think of it by that hackers like one of the classic ones for me is alan turing which um most people probably never would have heard that guy's name had they not watched um the imitation game which is a movie that a wonderful movie that came out a couple of years ago um and that was about the guy who and now there were people who did work prior to him by the way but he's the guy often credited with helping us break the nazi enigma codes in world war ii um, but there was a lot of groundbreaking stuff that happened from some folks and researchers in Poland prior to him. I don't want to shortchange them, but he was often credited with the guy who did that. And that's a, that was a form of hacking. I mean, it was, uh, you know, taking something, figuring out how to how it works, reverse engineering something so that he could break that code. Yeah. And uh, so I'll throw another one out from that same same time period that I'm just I'm just it's, it's making me think about how about Grace Hopper? Yeah, okay. Grace Hopper was the person who coined the term security bug because there was actually a physical bug <laughs> inside of the computer, uh, according to the, the lead, the story as legend as, as legend says or whatever. Um, but she was an example of somebody who was pushing the limits on computer science. And so you could, you could call her a hacker as well. Yep. 
the the other one that maybe some of our the older folks in our audiences may remember, and I, I don't know how much of a term this was at the time. I'm familiar with it, but uh, this was common back in the 60s and 70s. It was called phone freaking, uh, and it was the freaking spelled with a ph instead of a, a, an f because it was for phone. So hence the freaking. Uh, and what these, I guess, it started that there was some kid. Uh, and I said, kid, I think he was maybe 11 or 12 who had perfect pitch and he could whistle perfect tones. And he figured out somehow while he was on the phone that if he whistled the right tones, he could make free long distance phone calls. And that's because the system was actually using these tones to indicate that this person had the right to make this call. I, I don't know if, how that worked, but it became a thing. And, and they actually back in the 70s would make these things called blue boxes. And these boxes would you know, you hook them up to your phone system and they would generate these tones and we allow you to make free long distance calls. I'll never forget. There was a, I invited this guy. I was a DJ back in college and we had this dorm radio show and I invited this guy in. I forget how I got this guy. I guess he was an alum. So he, he was back and he wanted to be on the show. And I said, sure, come on in. And this guy would do this stuff. He did it in our, in our thing. He called Tokyo for free from our radio station, which they're sure that our radio station had no long distance phone privileges. Somehow this guy did it. <laughs> Uh, but two most famous uh, freakers back in the day were Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. But if you don't know those names, those are the guys who started Apple. And so it's it's that mentality. It's it's not. Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, they were probably trying to save some money. But at the end of the day, they were just trying to see if they could do it. Yeah. Let me throw out some another term here since we're going way we're going in the way back machine here. <laughs> um, there was a guy named Captain Crunch. <laughs> who was one of the original phone freakers. Yeah. He figured out that there was this toy whistle that came in the cereal box. That's right. Yes. And the toy whistle would do the the same tone as the phone system was expecting. So you could blow the whistle <laughs> into the phone and then you could basically change your access level to then have access to the international dialing privileges or whatever. Um, yeah. On an un- basically an un- untrackable kind of a line there. So, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of history of people pushing the limits uh, Kevin Mitnick, okay? yes. you can love him or hate him. You can choose yeah. <laughs> which category you want to put him into. But he was a somebody that was labeled as a hacker. He was also labeled as public enemy number one for a while. His big approach was social engineering. So he was more about how do we how do we attack the people from yes. a trust perspective and get them to believe a story. So then they'll give me something, whether it's access to their computer or some type of information. Uh, but that's a kind of another person who fits into that kind of historical view of a hacker. Yeah. And no, all right. And, and I, we keep riffing on this. I got one more that I could bring up and then we'll, then we'll move on. The other one that, that struck me as similar was the guy. And I, maybe, you know, the, his name, but, uh, from the movie, catch me if you can, uh, where he was a, a, a check hider. So he would come up with all these techniques for creating fake checks. And eventually, and the point I want to make with this one in particular is that a lot of, a lot of these cases, these people start out as being quote unquote bad guys and then end up being good guys. So they they either, they either flip the script because they, their, their skills are in so much demand that they can go legit basically and sell and sell their knowledge that way. Or in some cases, like in this, in the movie case of this movie, he was basically said, well, you can either go to jail or you can help us prevent other people doing from what you did. Yeah. I think that guy's name was Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, maybe. Uh, maybe. I can't remember. He was the movie. No, Tom, Hanks, Di- Tom Hanks was the FBI guy. I can't remember. Who yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio played him in the movie. The guy's name is Frank. Yeah. Bagnail. A Bagnail. Yes. Bagnale, something like that. And he, uh, yeah, he was famous. He was probably the best social engineer to ever exist. He's still around. I saw him uh, at a conference one time, a uh, company brought him in to, uh, just talk about his experiences and tell his story. And it's, it's fat. He's, it's a fascinating story. 
Yeah, if nothing else, that's interesting reading. Um, so one of the quotes I read in, so what I want to kind of go to now is why would I ever want to do this? I'm sure, may, you know, maybe there's some people out there that that naturally have these tendencies, but but why else might want to be a hacker? And one of the most interesting uh, reasons I found when I was kind of doing research was you could kind of liken it to martial arts. So generally speaking, martial arts is for self-defense, but of course you could use it offensively. Most people don't when you're being taught these things. Most It's usually about defending yourself. So even if you don't have the natural inclination to say, well, I wonder if I can make free long-distance phone calls, uh, having some of these skills and doing a little bit of this research, even if it's not professionally, you know, just kind of looking into some of these technologies and learning some of these you know, tips and techniques can help you learn how to protect yourself. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's it, – it, but I think there's, there, there's – we got to separate the desire – to want to become a hacker from the actual skills that you have to go through mm-hmm. because so much the in this day and age is about the skills and I see a lot of people that go through this process and they're thinking hey I want to get into security uh, hacking is the coolest thing and that's what I want to do I want to be a hacker mm-hmm. and so what do they do they go do the different certifications that are supposedly going to teach them professional pen testing and there, there's a lot of them that aren't aren't great <laughs> that exist in the mm, industry. I'm but sure. the challenge the challenge I have there is they don't have that they don't have that sparkle in their eye for <laughs> right. the people that kind of, that, that 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 desire. If you don't have the desire to pull things apart and then try and figure out where the flaws lie in them, if you don't have that mindset already, you can take all the skills all day long, and you're really not going to be very successful in this world. And I can tell you, I mean, I've done, I've done some penetration testing. So when we say penetration testing, this is like a commercial service where you are applying the techniques and tools of the, I'm going to say attacker Mm -hmm. using kind of the words I like to use, but you're applying those same tools and techniques to a, somebody's actual network. And that, that somebody is going to then pay you for performing this test and simulating what would an actual attacker try to do. Right. So, so I say all of that just to say that if somebody doesn't, you have to have that that desire to want to solve. It's if somebody likes solving puzzles, yeah, that is a good determining or determining factor if you're going to be good at applying that same mindset to the world of hacking. Right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's where all these things are just some sort of puzzles, and they're. I remember like Myst was a big game for a while. There were a lot of puzzles in those games. And it was that kind of, there's a lot of video games that have these things built into them at certain points uh, where you have to solve some sort of a riddle or some sort of a puzzle. And if those are the kinds of things that you get off on, then then I would think that this would be a, an area that you might want to actually consider. Yeah, definitely. And then, so there's also the idea that you need to understand. So to be good at D, de- so there, there's two sides here. And I think you, I heard you mention these, these terms a little bit earlier. There's offense and defense in the world of security. And so defense, these are the people that are sitting, that are running the systems that are protecting whatever the, let's say the corporate network. They're the ones that are watching all the entry points and they're trying to ensure that the information inside the company is as protected as possible. Then there's the folks on the offensive side. And so from the offensive side, inside of a company, the offensive folks are the ones who are doing that penetration testing, trying to test the networks. But if we go outside the company, those offensive side that could be attackers that are that are trying to get into the corporate network for trying to steal information or steal intellectual property there's a million different things right they could be uh trying to do there and so to be good at defense 
you have to understand offense. Right. So to, to and to be, I mean, I won't say it's it's man. I won't say you can't be successful if you don't have a great understanding of offense. But you have to have the, the more you know about how the attacker is thinking, and how they're going to operate and what they're going to look for, the better off you're going to be as a defender of a given network. Right. And I and if you want to learn a little bit more lingo, we usually call those the blue team and the red team. Yep. The, the the red team being the, the the guys trying to get in, the blue team being the defenders. There's there's some other terms that are, that are often thrown around. You see these on movies and, and whatever, and I thought we'd, we'd address a couple of those. What is the difference between a black hat and a white hat hacker? That's similar to what we were just talking about. Yeah, so that's a that's a that's a great question, and it's important to know this this kind of difference. So remember the old cowboy movies? <laughs> of course. So the cowboy movies used to be in what? Black and white. Right. right. So in a black and white movie, you can only you only have two possible colors. So do you remember what color the bad guys hats always used to be? Well, other than the, the movie, the famous movie of the opposite name, the good guys always wore white. Yep. Yep. The good guys wore white and the bad guys wore black. So that that same kind of cowboy idea got got carried forward into the world of hackers. And so the idea with a black hat hacker, this is somebody who is evil. Their goal is to compromise, steal, destroy, cause problems. They're, they're not a positive, they're not a positive influence. They're somebody who's, who's bad. Mm -hmm. They're, they're what I call an attacker. I use the term attacker when I speak of, of people of this, this, this uh, grouping. And then a white hat is somebody who has the same knowledge as that criminal on the black hat side, but they use their powers for good. So it's like a superhero that's, you know, the, the super villain uses their powers for evil. The super hero uses their powers for good. The white hat hacker is the superhero of the hacking space because while they could break into stuff and steal lots of things, their integrity and their moral compass prevents them from using these skills that they have for illegal or illicit purposes. All right. So you've been in this industry for quite a while and I'm, you've obviously had plenty of coworkers in that time. So looking back at the people you've worked with and, and what would you tell somebody who wants to get into cybersecurity if we've already talked about their interests? So what kind of skills, if I was going to, if, if I don't have these skills already, what kind of skills would I want to seek out? Do I actually need a full tilt engineering or computer science degree? Do I need to live in my mom's basement with too much time on my hands? What, 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 Living in your mom's basement is uh, potentially a good, uh, there's nothing good to say about that. I'm sorry. I, I tried to say it with a straight face. I couldn't say it. No. Uh, no, see, you, you don't, you do not need an engineering or a computer degree. Uh, it's, it certainly is not a bad foundation <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to, because what I'm going to tell you here, as far as the things that I think that, that, that have, I'll tell you kind of first what led to my success as far as being a cybersecurity professional. And then I'll also tell you kind of the, an alternative path that I've seen people go through. But so my approach to the world of security was I did get a, I did get a degree from a four-year school in what, what they called computer information systems back then. What that did was that gave me a good foundation in the things of information technology. So um, I've, I guess I've been lucky. I've had computers at my disposal since I was eight years old, and mm. I'm a lot older than eight years old now. <laughs> um, going back to the world of uh, Commodore 64, VIC-20, um, Texas Instruments, TI-99. I mean, that's, oh, that was my first computer. Yeah, yep. so that's that's how. But but I've always had those at my fingertips. So I had a foundation of 
information technology through my entire life. Like I've always just had computers around and and used them for uh, for positive um, positive things. I ran a, B, a a bulletin board system when I was in high school because I'm that type of a of a geek. Yep. Um, where people could dial in and have conversations long before the internet was uh, was a popular thing. But so after I finished college, I I got into security through the system administration route. And what I mean there is to become a system administrator, you have to learn a lot about how networks work. So a system administrator has to have basic understanding of uh, routers, of network operations, of TCP IP, the, the, pro, the kind of the language that the Internet speaks amongst all the different devices. Um, you also have to understand Windows, the different versions of Windows, and how do you make things happen on those devices. So my foundation in system administration allowed me to transition into the world of security because I had that I had that understanding. So I was able to transfer from the world of operating those systems and making the network work into how do I protect it? And I already knew enough about it that it was really beneficial uh, to, to it was it was it, w- it wasn't as big of a leap to go from operating the networks to actually trying to secure and, and prevent other people from from breaking into them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the kind of from the skills perspective. So if you take if if somebody takes that system administration background and then they can they can make their way, they can they can even add the hacking kind of skills together with the system administration, because a lot of hacking is trying to get into networks. So you're trying to find the problems the system administrators have left behind in the systems. Mm -hmm. And so. That that's where the connection actually happens there. So you can add your security skills, your hacking skills, tie them together with how things are supposed to work for a system, and then you figure out kind of how to flip things upside down and and identify what are the holes and what are the problems there. Now, people that are that are very good in the world of hacking, they're able to operate in multiple programming languages. So that's another kind of a ding ding ding. Here's a something that somebody who wants to get into this needs to focus on. So uh, a lot of folks are learning Python, for example. Python's a scripting language with lots of power, lots of different plugins that provide functionality. So you don't necessarily have to build all your functionality from scratch. You can um, you can use kind of some of the library type functions that other people provide to you. Uh, but it doesn't hurt to have an understanding of the C programming language and Java and .NET. And JavaScript and all the different programming languages. You want to at least to be a solid hacker, you got to have a you got to be proficient in at least one of those. And then if you're proficient in Java, for example, you can usually at least read the code that exists in other programming languages, and you can use that to kind of interpret which direction to go for to find a new vulnerability. Yeah, and 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 I think we've talked a lot about computer languages, the things that I know a lot of people think, oh God, I can never do that. Well, it's really what I try to tell my daughters, and and I've sworn that one of these summers I'm going to sit them down and teach them some basic Python. This stuff is really not as complicated as you think it is. That the movies and whatever make it make it out to be like you have to be a rocket scientist or a computer scientist to figure this stuff out, and you really don't. If you look at these things, most of them almost read like English. All these things are, all these computer programs are, is a list of kind of sentences in an order where you're saying first do this, then do this. Oh, and if this happens, do that. But if not do this, it really is very straightforward. It's, it's basically logic. One of the, one of the best programmers I ever knew was actually a mathematician. They weren't, they weren't trained uh, in college to be um, 
to be a programmer, but they were trained in logic. And so a lot of these things are just if then that, uh, if this, then that kind of scenarios where you, yep. you create these trees of things that will happen. And the other thing I want to bring back as you were talking about how things are hacked and the, the analogy I like to make uh, when you're talking about, well, okay, so this company has got this kind of a web server and I can't find a problem. So I'm going to make a copy of that locally so I can do it. Think of it this way. And you've seen these in movies sometimes. So if, if the bad guys, let, let's say these guys are l- pulling off a diamond heist and they know that the, the they've got the impenetrable, you know, super safe 3000 is what is what this bank is using to hold these diamonds. Well, you know, if they can, they go buy a copy of that safe and bring bring the safe back to their garage and they spend time figuring out how it can get into this safe because they've got one locally that can beat up on. Yeah. Uh, it's the same kind of a thing. So, you know, bring bring another copy back here where I can actually do some experimentation on it. And then when I get to the real one, I'll know how to get into it. Yep. All right. Let's take one more break before we finish our interview with Chris Romeo on what it's like to be a hacker. Uh, and I just want to remind you, you can help me to help you by going to patreon.com and being a patron uh, of my crusade to educate as many people as possible about how to stay safe out there. Uh, and you can also check out my weekly newsletter. I try to send out a weekly tip uh, once a week on Sunday nights. You can sign up for that on my website as well. We're a new breed of talk radio with a new breed of host and shows to entertain and inform you. It's America Out Loud Talk Radio, shows that impact your health, honor our heroes, political talk, shows that inspire you to live a truly authentic life. You can hear your favorite shows on networks like iHeartRadio or AHA Radio, or just download our free apps on both Android and Apple. But we are proud to have you as one of our growing family of listeners. We are the vision of the voices AmericaOutloud.com All right, so we talked about programming. Um, what other what other kind of skills would you recommend somebody have? So programming is a pretty obvious one. If if you were gonna do this and let's say let's say you weren't gonna go the, the college route. If you were already thinking about going the college route, you're probably well probably well on your way to this kind of stuff anyway. So if I'm if I'm not doing this for college, or maybe if I'm looking at my kids, obviously one of the things you want to do is you want to set them up with a computer and some boredom, right? <laughs> that, <laughs> yep. that, that's what we all had. That's why we all got into this stuff in the first place is we had nothing but nothing but time in the summer and we had this computer sitting there. What can I make this thing do? Uh, yep. th- that is crucial. I've, al- I've always tried to tell my daughters they need to learn how to be bored uh, and see what comes out of that. So if you're recommending to somebody of those parents or, or someone on, the, on the, the podcast who might want to play around this as a hobby, what, what else might you recommend they look into learning? So the, the idea, we've touched on this already when we mentioned the guy from Catch Me If You Can and we mentioned Kevin Mitnick. Social engineering is a, a skill set that someone who wants to actually have a job in somehow related to the world of hacking, you really have to understand what is social engineering and how do I use that to my advantage. And so social engineering is the idea where Instead of attacking the software or the technology, I'm going to attack what is the weakest point in (laughs) any given system, the human beings. Why are the human beings the weakest point in the system? Because they're the most trusting. (laughs) If you tell someone a good story, a lot of times they'll believe you because people want to believe that people are good. Right. Now, I've been in security for 20 plus years now. I believe everyone's evil until proven (laughs) good. 
and that's that's a that I guess that's a curse of the of the, right. of the, the cybersecurity world is that you get this jaded kind of approach where uh, I get a phone call from somebody now and I'm like I don't even think you're who you say you are you probably are but <laughs> I doubt it I, I, I there's too much risk I'm hanging up the phone click right um, because I'm I'm a little jaded now from that perspective but so so back to the the skills that that ha- people that want to participate in this type of a world so you have to learn how to tell stories using the phone, using even sometimes in person. Uh, when you're when you're trying to make your way into some type of a gain some type of network access, you may have to call people at that company on the phone and tell them a story. The story is going to, could be something to the effect of, hey, this is uh this is Bill from the uh, from the IT help desk here and uh, we just we just noticed there's been some strange activity on your uh, corporate email account here. So uh, I think we need to go ahead and make a couple of adjustments to that account for you. Um, if you could just tell me, okay, what's your name? And they wait, they wait till you they give you the name back. Okay, and confirm your department for me. They say some department, me as a social engineer. Oh yeah, yep, okay. Uh, and could you confirm your password for me, please? <laughs> okay, in the back of your mind. If you're the one getting this call, you should hear that. You should be warning alarms right. wah, 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 going off. But that's what I'm doing as a social engineer. I'm trying to attack the people so that hopefully maybe I can get you to give me your password. And then I can go log into your corporate accounts, your email accounts from my personal, my computer and and outside of your corporate network. I can trick you into giving me some type of access. So there's a whole bunch of skills that go into being a successful social engineer, but it's a part of it's a part of this overall hacker mindset. Being able to go out, get step outside the technology, and actually use attack vectors that are pointed on the human element. And and it's important to note that it's not you know you don't have to necessarily be the kind of an actor who could pull this off live and in purpose in person some of this is just understanding basic human nature like if you look back at the i love you virus one of the reasons it was so popular is because who's not going to open an email that says i love you (laughs) right uh the stuxnet the 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 software that supposedly allegedly the united states and israel cooked up together to try to slow down the iran nuclear program because their networks were so secure, they had to find another way to get it in. And, and my understanding is that what they did is they put a lot of this stuff on flash drives and they just left them lying around because human nature is, oh, I'm in a parking lot. Someone someone dropped a flash drive. Ooh, I wonder what's on that. Yep. <laughs> and the first thing they do is they plug it in. And of course, at yep. that point, they're screwed because the, what was on that thing was malware. Uh, So in a lot of cases, it's not, you know, while yes, you know, it's certainly calling somebody live or sending them that email from the Nigerian prince or, you know, saying here's a lot of money that understanding human nature is and what's going to get someone's attention either through sympathy or through uh, you just hear something you just won. Or a lot of times it's scare tactics. Like if you don't do this right now, your computer is going to be compromised or uh, some of the pop ups on the Web or, you know, we found a virus on your computer. Click here to fix it, which is actually clicking here to install malware right malware yeah yeah and and um i I like the ones where you kind of you go after the emotional side of the people Mm. and you you can do this you can do this in email through i mean you, you can use phishing which normally is done by criminals to try to 
get uh, you to give up a some type of credential or install malware on your computer. But the hacker, the people who are doing this professional hacking thing, they're using the the same tools of the of the criminal that does phishing to send emails to try and help them get access to a particular network. So some of these some of these ideas you're you're encapsulating within your skill set, the things of the criminal, you have to understand how the criminal thinks and understand their motivation and how they operate so that then you can mimic that in your actual hacking uh, demonstrations. Yep. Well, I, you know, obviously we, from our backgrounds, we find this stuff fascinating. I hope the audience does too. And if nothing else, I hope we've kind of, you know, throughout the course of this discussion, give you an idea into the little glimpse into the mind of the, uh, the hacking of the hacker and the attacker and the, the mindset at a the hackers aren't all bad. Uh, in fact, many of them are good hearted people that just have a lot of curiosity time on their hands and want to learn how things work. Um, and this is something that I think, uh, you know, everyone should at least understand where where this stuff is coming from and you know perhaps even you might want to look into it yourself there's there's a lot of great books on this kind of stuff there's a book called Stephen Levy uh, the Stephen Levy wrote called Hackers if you want to kind of get into some of the history that that's kind of interesting um, there's another one that's I find really interesting called uh, Little Brother by Cory Doctorow and it's kind of a political thriller thing but the, the kids are basically uh, as a hacker and you you kind of see how he uh, how he thinks through things and, and, and protects himself and encrypts all his messages and hacks into certain systems. And uh, it's another interesting view on hacking. Are there any favorite books that you've had growing up or uh, that you, you might recommend to somebody who is interested in this, either purely from a fictional standpoint or, or, or actually might want to pursue this? So from a, there is a series of books called uh, hacking exposed, which, uh, have been around for <laughs> seems like a decade and a half now, but there's a whole bunch of different books that are uh, in this series. There's Windows, there's Networks, there's Linux, there's Voice over IP, there's web apps, um, there's so the wireless industrial control systems. All of these are different books in the series. So I think there's uh, there's still value in that particular series as a place to get started. They tend to have a lot of hands-on, step by step explaining to you the concepts of things. Um, and these are available on Amazon? Yeah, yeah. These are, if you just put in Hacking Exposed into uh, Amazon. I'll give you another one here that I like. Um, it's on this on social engineering. It's called Social Engineering, The Art of Human Hacking. And this is by Christopher Hadnagy, who's, a, who's one of the most renowned social engineers in the industry. Uh, it's, it's, I've, I've read this one in the last couple of years and it's, it just goes through his, his mindset and just takes you through what are the different things that you should know about the way human beings process information and how they think so that you can more readily use that to your advantage if you're trying to pull off a social engineering attack. Yeah. Social engineering, now that we're talking about it, almost, it's almost like sleight of hand. It's a, it's, it's misdirection. It, it, it reminds me a lot of the stuff that magicians learn. Yeah, very much so. And it's it's uh, it's manipulating the person using a cu- some one of a, of a couple of different potential ways. It could be manipulating them on an emotional level where I say, hey, uh, you know, uh, I'm just making this call. I need to I need to get into to this network today to make to, to fix something. My boss is so mad. Uh, he told me, like, if he if, if I screw up one more time, he's going to fire me. Right. And, and, and I, I got kids and I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids. If I feed that story to you, 
and you know I was starting to get a little a little weepy here, but you know um, if I put on the full acting approach, I can probably get somebody to let me into something I shouldn't have access to because they're going to feel bad for me. Right. Yeah. And I, this is a totally made up story. My my, my kids are going to eat just fine. Tonight, so. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's all fascinating. At least I find it fascinating. Hopefully, our audience did today too. Thanks uh, for coming back, Chris. We've always had some great discussions and uh, yeah, taking your professional career and helping us understand what the, the mindset behind all of this stuff. And hopefully, we've intrigued our listeners today. Yeah, very cool. Thanks. Thanks for coming back. Take care. All right, now let's get back to a little bit of serious business uh, with the tip of the week. And uh, let's talk about credit freezes and fraud alerts. Uh, these are things, these are tools that you have at your disposal to um, protect yourself when you think you might be a victim of identity theft. Um, so given what just happened with Equifax, if you're one of the people whose uh, information was stolen, you fall squarely into this category. So listen carefully. So uh, there's two things I'm going to recommend to you here. Um, one is a credit freeze and one's a fraud alert. So um, let's start with the fraud alert because it's probably the simplest. Um, what a fraud alert will do is it supposedly will allow you to call up one credit uh, credit bureau of the three, pick one, uh, and say, I would like to place a fraud alert um, on my account. Now, there's a few different kinds of fraud alerts. And if you're just if you think you might be in trouble with your identity, um, as opposed to, in other words, you have not had an identity theft um, situation actually happen to you yet. You could put what's called an initial fraud alert on your account, and that is completely free. Uh, when you contact one bureau, they're supposed to call the other ones for you uh, and set it up. So you only need to call one. And for 90 days, what that does is uh, it forces anybody accessing your credit report, particularly somebody who's going to open up a new credit card or a loan or something in your name to go the extra mile to make sure that that person is you. For example, if you put um, your phone number on file with these people, they should call you and say, hey, is this really you? Are you trying to open up a new credit card? So it's, it's not perfect, um, but it's free, it's cheap, it's easy, um, and at the bare minimum, I recommend you do this if you're a part of this Equifax thing. In fact, really, there's no reason not to do it um, all the time. I don't realize, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do this just as standard procedure. Uh, and this means that anybody trying to open up um, new credit in your name um, should go through some extra hoops to make sure that they're you. Of course, they should be doing that all the time, right? Anyway, so that's a credit. That's a that's called a fraud alert. By the way, if you're an active military, um, there's also a one year one you can put on your um, your account. Uh, it's a, instead of ninety days, it's for one year. You can ask for an active duty military alert. Now, if you actually are a victim of identity theft, you uh, you can call up and get uh, what's called an extended fraud alert, which lasts for seven years. Hopefully, that's not you. Uh, so for most of us, we're going to be looking at the initial fraud alert. Now, what's a credit freeze then? So a credit freeze actually prevents anyone from viewing your credit file. Um, so that has a lot of effects. Um, it costs about 5 to $10, as my understanding. You would have to call each individual um, uh, credit bureau. Uh, and I've got the information, again, on the website about how to do that. You call each one of them. You have to pay for each one of these things. Um, uh, and then you can uh, have it lifted later. And I forget if there's a fee associated with that as well. There may be. It's small. It's fine. Like I said, it's 5 or $10. Well worth it. Um, if you're worried about someone getting into your um, uh, uh, trying to pull identity theft on you. And one thing you do have to realize, though, actually two things. So if you're going to do the free credit monitoring, you have to set that up before you put on the freeze. Um, now, you can what they call thaw. You can freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw as much as you want. Now, you got to pay every time you do that. Um, uh, so anytime you need actually to do something with your credit, like you need to actually apply yourself for a new credit card, um, 
uh, or get yourself a loan. And you actually need to realize that, that your credit history is used for a lot of other things now. Um, they're often pulled if you're interviewing for a new job so, or trying to get an apartment. Sometimes you're trying to set up uh, utilities or a, um, a new phone service. Your credit card is pulled for a lot of reasons now. Um, and all those would be prevented by a freeze. So it's in, in that sense, it's very kind of cumbersome. Um, and you'd have to call and uh, temporarily um, thought and then refreeze it. Uh, and, and you'll get a letter with all this information on how to do this. Um, but really, if you if if you were affected by this Equifax thing, I would honestly, I would strongly recommend doing it. If you're a, an older consumer who's basically been at the same house for a long time, got the same credit card, same job, and and not you know not applying for anything, there's no reason honestly not to have a credit freeze. You, you're probably not likely to need new credit very often. Um, but if you think you might be a victim here in the Equifax thing, I would strongly suggest it. All right, so let's let's wrap that up one more time. So again, come to the website. I, uh, I've got all the numbers and the, the links you need to find all these credit union numbers to call them up or to go to their website and request a freeze. Um, if you're going to do the credit monitor thing with Equifax, the free thing, the free service they're supposed to be offering in the next few days, I would recommend doing that, but you should do that before you set up the freeze. Uh, but at bare minimum, set yourself up um, a fraud alert on your account. And by that, that's much easier. It's totally free. You just call one of the three. Uh, and to set that up. And uh, it's a, it's at least some extra protection that I would recommend you do. All right, everybody. And that's going to wrap it up. We had a big week this week. Um, I'm sure there'll be more to come on this Equifax thing. And you can find that information here every week. And uh, until then, folks, do not get caught with your drawbridge down. Take care, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>